It was the biggest moment of his life. Chris's heart was pounding, his palms were sweaty, his legs were shaking, but he was excited. As anxious as he was, he was excited as he stood at the starting line of his first ever Olympic race. And as he was there, as soon as the gun went off, so did Chris. And when he took off from that starting line, he threw his head down, and with all his strength, he would throw each leg in front of the other, lunging forward and muttering to himself under his breath, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And as he's running with all his strength and all he's got, it comes to a point in the race where he feels like he's given all his energy and strength, and he starts thinking to himself, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. But then he looks up, he lifts his head, and not too far in the distance, he sees the finish line. And with that sight, there's this renewed hope within him. There's this restored strength, and he throws his head back down. I can do it. I can do it. And as he gets to that finish line, he lunges forward, throws his body across that line. And as he does, he looks up, and he can see his friends and his family and his fans go absolutely berserk. And when Chris sees them go berserk, he goes absolutely berserk. He throws his hands up. He's running around. He's celebrating. He goes to the crowd. He high-fives. He shakes hands. He gives hugs. And he's just pure joy, just pure joy within him. And after the award ceremony and he gets his medal, he gets interviewed by the team he by the TV camera, and they ask him how he's feeling. He says, man, I'm just stoked, man. That was so good. I couldn't have asked for a better race. This is everything I imagined. I'm just so happy to be here, and I just love this, this medal. And everybody watching from the other side of the TV screen, you have to imagine, must have been really inspired and just in awe. Why? Because that medal that Chris Burke was excited about was a third place medal. Well, what's so inspirational about that? Well, they knew that there were only three runners in that race. That Chris Burke in his very first Olympic race came in third out of three. Dead last, but alive with joy. Now, that's, that's a great story. We must be so inspired and motivated by his great attitude, even though he came dead in last place. But how about for you? What if that was you, though? How many of you would be filled with joy if you came in last? You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, it tells us in verse 24 that the Christian life is like a race. And Paul says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to come in third. No, that's not what it says. It says run in such a way as to get the prize. Now we know that the prize Paul's talking about here is heaven. It's eternity. But I want to show you that if we take the whole of Scripture and we see the heart of the Bible's teaching, that that's actually true, that you essentially win in life when you run 
for third. That you win in life when you run for third. I'm titling today's message, Running for Third. Running for third is what we're going to call this today. Why? Well, we're in this series called What's Good. What's Good. And instead of just listening to all the bad news that the world is throwing at us every day, we want to illuminate and celebrate the things that are good. We want to think about those things. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God says this through the scriptures. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what's good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Well, what's good, church? Walking humbly is good. Circle those two words, walking humbly. And I want to show you today how humility comes when we run for third. I want to open up the word of God, but before we do, let's pray. And I know that at the time we're recording this, we still don't know We don't know who the president of the United States will be, but I want to let you know, and you're hearing it here from me, the result is in, and this is for sure, Jesus is king. And so let's pray and let's confess that with our hearts and our mouths. Let's pray right now together. And so Father God, we just pray, Lord, as we come before you in your word, as emotions might be stirring up in us Even as we listen to this message, I pray, Lord, that you would give us peace and that you would give us calm. And God, I pray that you would remind us that our trust is not in a donkey on the left, nor is it in an elephant on the right, but it is in the lamb who sits high above on the throne. God, I pray that whatever happens, God, we would bow to your sovereign authority and trust that not only do you see all things, but you're in control of all things, God. Lord, please, please speak to us through your word. I thank you so much that for me personally, this message preparation has been so rich for my own soul and it's been so timely and meaningful to me personally. And I pray that you would do for those who listen what you have done for me. Lord, encourage my heart, encourage our heart, So we give you this time. Speak to us in a time such as this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So running for third. How do you run for third? Well, it starts off by giving Jesus first. So if you're writing notes, please write this down somewhere in a journal, in your notebook, maybe on your computer. Jesus takes first place. Jesus takes first place. Now, here's the thing. I know when we think about humility, we tend to think of somebody who is meek or who's modest, who's not proud. And although that's true, I want to take you a little bit deeper into an understanding of biblical humility. So do me a favor. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. And this is a passage that you are probably familiar with. Matthew 22 is known as the great commandment. But in verse 37, Jesus is responding to a teacher of the law. And he says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Would you circle that word first in verse 38? This is the great and first commandment. 
Now, many of you guys know this passage. It's known as the Great Commandment. And usually this is a passage about love, right? Loving God and loving people. But I want to show you a lesson of humility from this. Because I want to show you that a truly humble person resolve in his or her heart, with his or her mind, that Jesus gets the first and greatest place. He sits on the throne above the universe. And that person who is truly humble will bow down before his throne in humble surrender. He takes first place. There's a sister in our church. Her name is Jill. And Jill has been praying for a long time that she would be able to get this huge mass in her stomach, greater than 25 centimeters large, that that it would be removed. And so she's been praying for a surgeon who can perform a surgery. Here's a picture of Jill that she sent to me and said I could share it with you. I don't know if you can notice, but her stomach looks almost as if there's a baby in there, but it's a tumor. Well, praise God that this past Tuesday, she finally got her surgery. And when I was messaging her the night before to see how she's feeling, she told me that not only will they remove the tumor, but they will also remove her two ovaries, her cervix, her fallopian tube, and her uterus. And I can't imagine how she's feeling about that. Maybe disappointment or fear she must be feeling at that news that all of that's going to be removed. So I asked her, I said, how are you feeling about all that, Jill? And here's what she wrote to me. She responded. She said, I'm excited. And then she went on to say, I want to have a testimony after my surgery so that God will be glorified. I will write down my story. I want to ask you, friends, how do you respond to the tests that come up in your life? Like, how, how do you respond to these tests? And I, and I love Jill's humility. Why? Because I see a sister who bows down before the sovereignty of God. She bows down to the throne. She puts Jesus there first. Why? Because she trusts that her test in the present will be a testimony in the future. She trusts that her test today will become a testimony tomorrow. In fact, as I speak tonight, she's already through the surgery just a few days later, and she will be meeting with her Bible study group to share her testimony. How do you respond to the test in your life? Reminds me of King David when he was tested in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we learn that there's this test. His son is ill, and his life is threatened. And so in 2 Samuel 12, David does what? He humbles himself before the sovereign Lord. He lowers himself, and he bows down physically with his body, but spiritually with his heart. And he starts fasting, and he starts praying and he won't leave the ground he stays there bowed down before God begging why because if there's anybody who could heal my son it's the sovereign God if there's anybody and even the servants in in David's house try to get him up because you got to eat you're going to lose all your strength and he just would not do it he would not get up off of the ground because he was bowed before the Lord Then what happens? Well, the unthinkable happens, and his child ends up dying. Uh, Here's David, humbly surrendered before the sovereignty of God, 
physically with his body, spiritually with his heart, trusting that God, if anyone could do anything about it, God can. And what happens when his child dies? What happens when it turns out the way he was praying against? Where does God fall in David's heart once David's child ends up passing? Does God fall back to second place? Does God fall back to third place, last place in David's heart because he didn't get what he hoped for? No, I want to show you God remained in first place. How do we know? Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19 and 20. It tells us this. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. The servants of David didn't want to tell David that his child had died. They're they're afraid of what he might do. He might flip out. He might start flipping tables. He might start flipping off God because he was so desperate for God to help. And when his child ends up dying, what does he do? He rises up and praises. Here's what J.I. Packer says. I believe David shows us humility because J.I. Packer describes humility like this. He says, the humble heart is one that bows down in humility and rises up in praise. The humble heart is one who bows down in humility and rises up in praise. And David bowed his heart before the sovereignty of God. If anyone has power, if anyone is strong enough, is God. Why? Because he's on the throne. He's on the throne of my heart and I trust him. Yet when things didn't turn out the way David had hoped, What does David do? Well, he rose up in praise. Why? Because God is still on the throne. He's still number one in my heart, and I trust in his sovereignty. Now, this is timely because I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I think this is the most divided I've ever seen our nation. Like, this is the most division I've ever seen, not even just in the nation, even in our church. Right, Even in the Christian church, I look at the church, and the church seems divided over this election. It almost seems like it's right down the middle. Half the church wants this guy to win, and half the church wants that guy to win. And there's such great division, and as I'm thinking about what's going to happen, I'm honestly, I'm expecting bad things to happen. I really am. I'm concerned about the outcome of this election. Once that leader is is named, how will the other side respond? Whichever way it goes, I fear a bad response. Not from the world. I kind of expect that from the world, but I fear a bad response from the church. Ungodly character coming out. But you know what's good, church? Humility is good. Humility is good. When Christians can respond to whatever happens with a humble heart, whether the elections went the way they had hoped for or even if it went against what they were praying against, against what they were hoping for, and afraid to see what Christians would say or what Christians would pose, I was encouraged 
by some good post that I saw. For example, I know a, a Christian friend who's very vocal about her political beliefs, and if you saw all her posts, you would know exactly which side she stood on. And even with the uncertainty of the outcome, even when it was looking like one particular guy was going to take it, here's what she wrote in her, in her Facebook page. And I saw humility in this. She says, it is still well with my soul. How about yours? Whatever this is, it's God's will. I see humility in that. She's trusting in the sovereignty of God. She's trusting in his will. Another person who's very vocal about what she wanted to see, she, she didn't hide it at all, very blatant on her Facebook page. Here's what she wrote. She wrote, I pray that Trump wins. And if he doesn't, I still know God is in control. Nothing separates me from the love of God or my love for God. His perfect will be done. And in another post, she wrote this, I will not be offended by God's will. I see humility in that. Whatever God does, whatever his will is, even if it's against mine, I'm not going to be offended because I trust in his sovereignty. I want to make it very clear, I'm not a Trump supporter supporter, and I am not a Biden supporter supporter. But I do support anybody who is going to humbly exalt Christ to the first and greatest place in his or her heart, who's going to trust that no matter what happens, no matter the outcome, I will always put Jesus first. I support that. I can get behind that. And here's what I realized, that when we, friends, are bowed before the throne, and if we live our life in this posture before the sovereign throne of God, you know what I realize what happens when you're in this position? That from down here, you realize I cannot see what he on the throne sees. I realize that the view from up there is a lot clearer than the view from down here. But I trust that the one who sits on the throne can see what we cannot see. And not only does he see all things, he has authority over all things. He's in control of all things. He is sovereign over all things. And so the truly humble heart will run for third by first recognizing that Jesus takes first. And we will give him first and greatest place on the throne and in our hearts. So running for third means Jesus takes first. But how else do we make sure we're in third? Well, you got to give others second. So write this down in your notes. Others take second place. Others take second place. I want to take you back to that passage in Matthew chapter 22, and I want to read on for you, but let me read it all in context. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So cir circle that word second in verse 39. Here's the second. See, because the humble person will recognize this very truth in their lives. In the first place goes God. And in the second place goes my neighbor. Others take second place. Now, if you look through the scriptures and you do, do a search on the topic of humility, you're going to find something 
that often comes up that humility is associated with a low position. Humility is often equated with a low position. But understand this, that no matter where you are, you, you don't necessarily have to be the scum of the earth to be in a low position. You could be high up on a ladder. You could be high up on a physical ladder, on a social ladder, on a spiritual ladder, high up on a social ladder, a, a, a popularity ladder, and you can still be in a low position. Let me show you how. Let me show you how. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And this passage is all about Christian humility. And in verse 3, it says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Would you underline that phrase? Count others more significant. Than yourselves. Verse 4 Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So I had you underline that consider others more significant because I want to point something out. In, in the original Greek language in which this was written, there's a word there. It's the word hooper echo. Hooper echo is a compound word. Hooper is hyper, it means above, and echo means to hold. It means to hold above you. Hold others above you as if they were more significant. Not because they are more significant, but as if they were more significant. Not because they are more valuable than you, but as if they were more valuable than you. So humility is not necessarily belittling yourself or making yourself less valuable or, or with less worth than God created in you. It's simply holding others above you, and you could be at any position in life, any position on a ladder, and you could always hold someone above you. I want to show you a great picture of that. Here's a great picture of, of a man named Haruka Nishimatsu, and he was this, the former CEO of Japan Airlines. In fact, let me show you an even better picture. This is the same man taking a bus to work, as he does every day he was working. I mean, this is a man who definitely could afford his own car, in fact, probably even drivers to drive that car for him, and yet he insisted not to be above anybody else and took the bus to work, just like many of his own employees. In fact, at a time when the company was down profits, this CEO decided to cut his own wages so that he wouldn't have to cut employees from the company, knowing that their livelihood was in their work. This CEO set his salary even lower than some of his own pilots. Pilots who were making $90,000 a year were making more than their own CEO. I love that because though he was up here as a CEO, he wasn't putting himself above everyone else. He was thinking about others. And C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just I'm going to think of myself less. In other words, what's implied is you're thinking of others more. You're thinking of other people's interests. You're seeing how you can hold other people up above you. 
And I want to say, church, it is so refreshing, and I think you could probably agree with me, when we see humility in a world where pride is so prominent. I think when we see humility, it provides light in our present darkness. Some of you who attend South Bay Community Church, you may have come to know Corey and Rain Ishida, especially if you come to our Tuesday night prayer meetings, which I invite everybody to join us in. They are part of that prayer community and have joined with us as we prayed for one another over the past many Tuesdays. And, and you may or may not know this about Corey, but Pastor Corey was a leader and senior pastor of a highly influential church, growing church in San Gabriel Valley. In fact, at one point in its history, the church was growing so large that they had to get a new building, a 600-seat auditorium church that had multiple services to accommodate the people who were coming, and it came to a point where they were outgrowing that facility. And so they had to start looking for a bigger facility. But Pastor Corey felt the Lord saying that instead of looking for a larger facility to build a larger church, that instead they should hive the church. Not split the church into two, but hive it into two because this was an intentional decision to not have one congregation, but two thriving congregations. And so... So his associate pastor would take one congregation, and he as the senior pastor would take another congregation. Now the question is, who got to stay in that nice building, and which pastor would have to go and look for another? And, you know, if you ask me, it's a no-brainer. I mean, if you ask anybody with a brain, it should go to the senior pastor. I mean, this was Pastor Corey's church. He had led it to where it was that very time in history. He had, he had built up the church. And so it should be his. And Pastor Corey told me, he said, you know, with all his heart, he really believed that he would be the one to stay and that he would build the church in that location, and the associate pastor would have to go somewhere else. But, but he thought he should just pray over it and let the Lord affirm that. Well, Pastor Corey felt not only should he pray, but he should open the scriptures and see what the Lord says. And he says he opened his Bible, and his Bible plopped open. And when it plopped open, it fell to Genesis chapter 13. Now, usually we don't, uh, we don't, you know, suggest this method where we say, God, what is your will, and just randomly land in a place. But that day, it randomly landed at Genesis 13. Now, how many of you guys know what Genesis 13 is about? Well, Genesis 13 is about a man named Abram, who later becomes Abraham, and he has a nephew named Lot. And in Genesis 13, it tells us that Abraham and Lot had such a large herd of sheep, a flock of sheep and herd of cattle, that it was outgrowing their space. And because the flock and the herd was so large, it caused problems among them. And so what does Abraham do? Well, in humility, he considers others above himself. What does this senior uncle do? He thinks about Lot's interests, doesn't seek his own ambition or his own will, but he lets his nephew, not his son, his nephew 
make the call. Here's what Genesis 13 tells us in verse 9 and 10. It says, Abraham said, Lot, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. Now, if you take the left hand, I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham gives Lot the option, whatever way you go, I'll go the other way. I don't, want to, I don't want to cause any conflict. I'll give you the choice. And Lot sees a well-watered land. It's promising prosperity. Any rational person would see that this is the way to go. And so what does Lot do? Well, he thinks about himself. Doesn't consider Uncle Abraham and his interests doesn't count Uncle Abraham as more significant. He's counting himself as more significant. I'm getting my own, and I'm going that way. And what does Abraham do? Abraham turns the other cheek, and he goes in the opposite direction. He goes in the opposite direction. That's humility. I mean, that, that is humility. Why? Well, I think on the surface of this story, we would see humility in the fact that Abraham considered Lot before himself. But I want to take it a little deeper. What is at the core of his humility? What is at the bottom of all of this? It's not that Abraham decided to put Lot first and himself second. But at the very core, in his very heart, he decided to put God first and Lot second. It is because he trusts in God as king. He trusts in the sovereignty of God. He is first and foremost in my heart, and that helps to make the decision, I will put you before me. I will put you in second place. He trusted that God, who is sovereign on the throne, promised him just one chapter earlier in Genesis 12, and when he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you with a great land. And it was on those promises of God that Abraham trusted enough to say, whatever happens, nothing will thwart his plans, and he will get me where he wants to get me. So Lot, after you, the decision is yours. He trusted in his sovereign king. And that allowed him to give his nephew, Lot, the right of way. In essence, he was saying to his nephew, if I bring myself low, I know my God will lift me up. If I would just humble myself, I trust he will exalt me in due time. And so he gave God first place, which allowed him to give Lot second. Now, if you read later on in the Bible, guess where Abraham ends up? In a land called Canaan, which we learn later will be the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where God pours out his blessing because God had already seen all things. And so that's the story that Pastor Corey's Bible fell open to in Genesis 13. And though Pastor Corey was sure that, that the, the building should be his, and he just needed that affirmation, he says Genesis 13 convicted him. 
And so he says to the associate pastor of his church, he says, you go ahead and make this decision. If you stay, I'll go. If you go, I'll stay. To make a long story short, Pastor Corey, the senior pastor, ended up leaving with people from the congregation to find a new place to settle. And they ended up settling in a city called La Puente. Ultimately, in La Puente is where they would build the new church. And I can testify, I've seen with my eyes, God has blessed that church with grace upon grace upon grace. Not only did it continue to grow and flourish, but churches were planted, not one church, not two churches, not three churches, not four, but five in total was planted as a result. The gospel of Christ had spread. I love that story. And it may seem that Abraham humbled himself before his nephew Lot. And it may seem that Pastor Corey humbled himself before his associate pastor. But I think it goes deeper than that. At the core of it, these two men humbled themselves, not before other men, but they humbled themselves under the mighty hand of their sovereign God, the one who sits in first place in their hearts. And I, I really believe, church, humility is trusting so much that God is in control and that he is on his sovereign throne, that loving others just as he commands us to do will go well with us every time we choose to do it. If we trust him that much, then we will put others second, and he will bless the humble heart. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 tells us this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you trust in this biblical teaching? Because it says it over and over again, if you humble yourselves, he will exalt you. He will lift you up in due time. Do you trust that? Because if you do, you will put God first and you will put others second, which leaves one last thing. That means you take third. Would you guys write this down as the final point for today? You take third place. You take third place. Now, think through this with me. There's a logical problem here, right? Because if, if I'm trying to run for third place and I'm trying to elevate you to second, but you take this to heart and you're trying to run for third place and you're trying to put me in second, who gets to secure the third place position? If we're all trying to do that in the church. Who gets third place? I love this in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. I love the picture here. Here's what Paul says, Romans 12, 10. says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that phrase. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's, it's kind of like this picture. You know when competitors compete in a race? It's kind of like when one guy inches in front of the other, the other guy is going to run a little faster to get in front of him, and then this guy's not going to be outdone, so he tries to go in front of him. And that's what we do in this world. That's what we do in a race. That, that, that's what we do at work. That's what we do on Instagram. That's what we do in elections. We're always trying to outrun the other person. That's what we do in life. But where the worldly race might have two people trying to get ahead of each other, I believe that the Bible teaches in the Christian race we should be trying to 
get behind one another, where we're putting others before us. And if I'm going to put you before me, you're not cool with that, so you're going to try to put me before you, then I'm not going to be okay with that, so I'm going to put you before me. It's almost like a reverse race. Like we're trying to see who can cross the starting line first. And we're trying to constantly put the other person before me. Kind of reminds me of my brother-in-law when he had come back from being in the army for years. And I don't know what happened to this guy. I don't know if the army kicked him into shape or if it was the fact that he was in the south for so long with all that southern hospitality. But when he came back, man, this guy was so respectful to me. He came back from the army, and this guy was just like yoked. He got just built up from the army, and at that time, I was working out too, and so we, we decided we would go to the gym together. We went to 24-hour fitness, and I remember that first week going to the gym together. We get to the front door of 24-hour fitness, and he opens the door for me, and he says, after you, <laughs> like I was his girl or something, right? He goes, after you, and I'm like, no, 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 you go. He goes, no, 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 you go. I go, no, you go. He goes, you go, and I go, you go, and like we weren't going to go, nobody was going to go first, and like literally it felt like a minute or two, we're right there trying to get the other guy to go first. Well, we finally end up inside the 24-hour fitness, we, we check in, right, and then we're going to go upstairs to the machines, and so we get to the stairs, and he goes, go ahead. I go, no, you go ahead. He goes, no, 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 go. I'm like, no, go. And so here we are, once again, like these two beaters, uh, acting like little polite boys, trying to honor the other person. And I'll be honest with you, I loved that. I love that we we're trying to outdo one another in showing honor. You're not gonna, you're not gonna let me honor you, but I'm gonna honor you. And I believe this is what Romans chapter 12 is talking about. And I believe this is what the church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like this while the dog-eat-dog world out there is trying to outdo each other in prominence and prestige and popularity and in paycheck. We're trying to outdo each other in position. I believe the church will stand out when we choose as followers of Christ to outdo each other in honor when we fight for that third place position. There's going to be something remarkably different about the body of Christ. I'm so inspired by the 23 South Korean missionaries who humbled themselves to go into a Muslim country of Afghanistan to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They risked their lives, and when they went, they ended up getting captured by the Taliban. They were held hostage, and their lives were threatened. And as, as Francis Chan tells the story, as he heard their testimony, there were two men on that team of Korean missionaries who started arguing, started arguing, not in hostility, but in humility. It's because one of the Korean men said to the other, he said, listen, they're going to start killing us one by one. He says, I die first. <laughs> the other man says, no, 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 no. I'm older than you, which is important in Korean culture. He says, I'm your elder. I die first. The other guy goes, well, no, 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 no. You might be older, but I'm an ordained pastor, which is also important in Korean culture. He says, I'm an ordained minister. I die first. 
And the two were trying to outdo each other in honor, struggling for the lower position, struggling for the third place position by laying down his life before the other. We learned in the news that Brother Sim and Pastor Bay were both executed, the lives taken while the rest of the team was eventually set free and saved. Friends, Christian humility is when you strive for third place and you put others in second place because you've put God in the first and greatest place. Christian humility is when we run for third. And I want to remind you and encourage you, no matter where you are in life, no matter your position, whether it is a low position or a high position, you're never too high to elevate someone above yourself if you have put God in the first and greatest place. You can be a pastor and you can still lay down your life so that your missionary team can live. You can be the CEO of a company and still consider others more significant than you. You could be the captain of your basketball team and help your teammates shine. You could be the head of your household and still give prime attention to your family, to your kids, to your spouse. You are never too high to live down low. How do I know that? Because I know one who was a king. In fact, the king of kings who climbed up high onto a cross, way up on a hill. And even being that high, he lowered himself, humbled himself, laid his life down so that others could be lifted up and raised up to heaven. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10 tells us this. It says, and he being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, who humbled himself, was exalted. And his word tells us that he who humbles himself, she who humbles herself, will be exalted. I have come to identify with Chris Burke, who ran that first Special Olympic race in his life. And I now know the joy, that thrill he experienced. Because I have found that when you do put Jesus first, another second, and you last, that there truly is joy to be found when we come in third. There is great joy in coming in third. Church, running for third, that's what's good. That's what's really good. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much for the incredible example that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that though being King of Kings, 
Lord of Lords, creator of the universe, he did not consider himself so high up that he could not come down to earth, that he could not take on flesh, that he could not be stripped naked, hung on a cross and killed. But he did so in humility so that we would be raised up to eternal life with our Father. God, thank you so much for the example of Christ. And God, I pray that we who are impacted by that would live to reflect our Jesus. Lord, help us to run for third, that we would always exalt Jesus to the first and highest place, which will help us to see how much we need to put others second. And we pray that you would help each of us strive and struggle for the third place position, that we would struggle our whole lives to fall back in third. I pray that by the end of our lives, we would find ourselves neck and neck tied for third place. So God, give us a humble heart just like yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.